Good morning, and welcome to another one of Ursa's podcast. It is the first week of March, and what an important month February has been for South Africa. Not only did we have an important State of the Nation address at the beginning of the month, but towards the end, our Finance Minister, Tito Mbaweni, gave us our long-awaited budget speech. After the challenges faced by COVID-19 and the increasing risks concerning our fiscal sustainability, there was much pressure on the Finance Minister to appease South Africans. Today, we are revisited by Isaiah Mzlange, a Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes, and we will be discussing whether or not the budget speech delivered. Welcome to our show, Isaiah. It's a pleasure to have you with us again. Thank you for having me, Margo, and uh, it's good uh, to, to be back. <laughs> Thank you. So it was not long ago, our, our last podcast, and there we chatted about what we expected the budget speech would deliver. We spoke about whether or not there would be relief on businesses, and that was correct. Um, corporate tax went down to 27%. We also spoke about the COVID-19 graph being extended, and that ended up being extended for another two months, and other social relief grants increased slightly, and excise taxes did go up by 8%, so our syntaxes have um, increased. But there was no mention of the public sector wage bill. Was there anything unusual or unexpected from our finance minister? Look, I think, uh, firstly, let's just uh, frame the major objectives of this budget as it was announced. I think it had three objectives. First was to reduce or narrow the fiscal deficit to make sure that our debt to GDP ratio is sustainable. Secondly, which is perhaps the most important short term uh, goal, was to provide uh, support to the healthcare sector by increasing spending so that we can deal with COVID 19 uh, much more efficiently and perhaps faster while we are not committing long term spending. And thirdly, it was really to improve the composition of our spending by reducing the uh, compensation uh, budget while we maintain maintenance and investment spending by, by government. I think those were three overarching uh, objectives of this budget. And I think it delivered um, on all of them, at least from a commitment point of view. So you could say these hard choices were taken, which demonstrate a commitment to fiscal prudence and the shift to business-friendly environment. But as you mentioned, we were not expecting a decline in the corporate income tax, uh, though we were expecting um, some relief to the private sector and to private households. We do not anticipate that that relief is likely to come in the form of a decline uh, in, income, uh, in, in corporate income tax. But also what we need to uh, point out here is this is not for this coming fiscal year 2021-22. Um, it's going to begin in fiscal year 2022-2023. But also just given the context that we are in, uh, you know, we had a lot of discussion of basic income grant post the MTBPS last year. Uh, there was a lot of discussion, particularly from those that are on the left, including labor, on potential to increase wealth taxes in one form or the other, or even corporate income taxes to fund the ever-increasing need to spend on social services. Those were the discussions that were taking place. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the budget, we did not have a basic income grant. 
We did not have a wealth tax. We did not have uh, an increase in corporate income tax. Uh, so none of those, uh, you know, um, sort of, you could say, expansionary um, uh, or, or what, what's, the, what's the term? I think none of those leftist policies, mm. uh, if, if I can call those, were implemented, which means it's a more business friendly environment, um, um, which, which combined giving relief to households and firms, but trying to lay the base for um, increased private sector involvement in the, in the economy. Um, I think that's 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 the, the basic of what we what we what we got um, at a high level, um, which is which is good. I think for 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 setting the base for increasing investment going forward. Yes, and I think given our growth our growth constraints, um, making it a business friendly environment, and encouraging entrepreneurs to employ more people, it'll definitely pave a good path to help us move forward. So one of our key concerns and this works with our growth is addressing some of the structural issues that we've been facing such as providing a reliable supply of electricity also then the implementation of policies making sure education is as a you know all the money spent on education gives us as much bang for buck we could say <laughs> and also looking at getting you know um, your internet infrastructure accessible to people who still do not have access to it what do you think South Africans wanted to hear regarding these structural issues? And do you think the finance minister answered their questions? I think uh, this is really more about the structural reforms that uh, underpin the economic recovery plan. Um, what most people, including ourselves, was expecting is an update because they are really not new announcements. They have been announced uh, uh, many months ago. Um, so we were expecting to be updated as far as the progress is concerned on the implementation of each of these. Uh, in particular, as, as far as electricity generation is concerned, we're expecting an, an, uh, an update on when is big window five going to be opened, when is big window six going to be opened, and when do we get an announcement for those that have been granted the, uh, the tenders to do um, the 2000 megawatts of emergent electricity? That was not announced, but we were told it's going to be announced uh, in March, uh, which, is, which is a good thing. But also in terms of the, you know, creating employment from a government uh, stimulus, which is a short term, uh, you know, measure to cushion those that have lost jobs because by and large government is constrained. So uh, we also got an, an update, uh, which told us that by the end of January of this year, about 430,000 jobs um, have, have, been, have been created through the stimulus and an additional 180,000 jobs are in the recruitment process. So it's a good short-term uh, measure to cushion those that have lost jobs or to support um, households and individuals that will be accessing those kind of jobs. But also in terms of the infrastructure rollout, we were expecting to see what is the progress um, as far as the project pipeline is concerned in, in, in energy, in water, in transport, in, in telecommunications, which is the main sectors where, which, which requires a, a, a faster implementation uh, so, so that we can actually achieve the growth objections 
I mean, the, the, the growth objectives that, um, that government have set. So we also got some uh, updates on that, but we don't have much progress. Um, we still need require to see more. Uh, as far as the enablement of business um, is concerned, we got also an update. Um, 125,000 new companies have been registered for the BIS portal platform, uh, which means there is now a seamless a platform to register companies, get bank accounts, and do the FICA requirements, which can be done over a short space of time. Uh, that is the first step, which, which is good, but actually making sure that these businesses actually operate is, 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 is the next important step um, that we have to wait and see. Um, but overall, I think as far as the structural reforms are concerned, we just need to be realistic as well. These normally take time. It's not something that can be implemented over a few months, uh, but what is required is an update of progress at each point in time to say, we, this is where we are. We have moved from a planning phase. We are now in implementation phase and we have implemented one, two, three projects. This is what we require. But first and foremost, we need electricity to be sorted out because without it, any of the structural reforms are going to struggle to be implemented. Definitely, definitely. And it's that clear communication, which I think builds confidence. So hopefully the delivery in March will um, not, not disappoint in any way. I, I'm sure it won't. And um, so you mentioned the important aspect, I think, about you know, encouraging growth and employment. And I think when we look at the risks that we're facing with fiscal sustainability, ultimately, if we can increase our taxpaying base, our deficit will decrease. Now, when we look at what the finance minister spoke about, he sort of reiterated what we mentioned in the podcast, that our tax revenues were actually better than expected in this last year. And he also mentioned that we will have a primary surplus at the end of is it the 2024-25 financial year? At this, and I think with that, he also said that he expected to stabilize our government debt to 89.9% of GDP. Now, at the same time, there was a, um, a forecast by Moody's that said before then, at the end of the financial year 20, um, before the end of 2024, that they would expect our government debt to increase to 100% of GDP. Now, there's obviously, so this sort of says that things will get better before they get worse. I mean, sorry, get worse before they get better. <laughs> Who do you, which forecast do you think is more accurate and how realistic is us having a surplus by the end of 2024, given the, complex, the complexity of implementing these, these challenges, I mean, these policies? Yes, I think it's, uh, it's quite good to admit that forecasting is one hell of a difficult job to do. Uh, 2020 uh, taught us, you know, quite clearly that uh, forecasts are good in terms of planning, but they tend to, to, to always, uh, you know, um, um, uh, diverge slightly in one way or the other from what actually happens because you know, the economy is a function of, you know, human interaction and human behavior, which is very difficult to predict. It's determined or it's, it's, it's driven by many difficult, uh, different factors that changes over time. Having said that, um, there are significant risks to what National Treasury has 
budgeted for or has announced in terms of its fiscal framework. You can just take even in terms of its economic growth projections. Uh, it expects about 3.3% in 2021 um, uh, before a moderation to 2.2% uh, and 1.6% in 2022 and 2023. Now, those are modest forecasts. Uh, but what they also tell us is a change in strategy uh, because historically national treasury has tended to project faster economic growth in the outer years of the medium term expenditure framework on, on whose basis they have made permanent commitments to spend that has resulted in us overspending. But if you look this time around, they have decided to be more conservative which means they would make a budget on the basis of much lower growth rates in the outer years, which means if we get a growth surprise in a positive direction, that is going to be good, which is what we got last year uh, with better growth, we had better revenues. Yes. But considering the risks, which is one, the continued requests from state-owned companies for more funding to be provided to them, that's a big risk that can make these forecasts to, to actually come up much higher in terms of the debt to GDP ratio than what Treasury has penciled. The second thing, which is uh, much more immediate and perhaps has a bigger impact, um, is the uh, forecasts for government wage bill. National Treasury has committed to stay uh, with the, or have committed to continue to implement you know, um, a fiscal consolidation driven by and large a commitment to reduce the government wage bill, which is good from a credibility point of view. Mm. Say what they announced in the MTBPS, uh, they continue to, to emphasize that they are still sticking with it. But we've already had in, uh, labor through media uh, reports that they are uh, putting a demand of CPI plus 4% as a beginning a point in the negotiations. It already set us up to, uh, up to uh, difficult wage negotiations uh, within the public sector, uh, but it also realistically does not seem prudent to expect that they're going to settle for a 0% wage increase uh, because mm -hmm. one, they did not get the last year of the 2018 year um, um, uh, wage agreement. Um, which Treasury subsequently won. It's still within the court processes, but so far Treasury uh, seems to be to be winning that particular case. So it's quite difficult to see Labour that would say yes. We, we did not get our you know what we had agreed in the last year, but we are also going to agree to a zero percent increase. It seems imprudent. So we expect some slippage as far as the wage bill is concerned. But how far that slippage is going to be, uh, we, 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 we just don't know. So it would be prudent to expect that our debt to GDP ratio uh, is going to end up somewhere between 89% of GDP and 100% of GDP <laughs> over the next five years uh, yes. because of some of these, uh, some of these uh, risks that are more than uh, you know, uh, likely to, to, to crystallize in the budget. Unless, of course, if we have better economic growth than national treasury has penciled, and we have better tax revenues than national treasury has penciled, which would mean they can use those extra tax revenues to, uh, to fund whatever the requirements in terms of uh, wage bill and in terms of supporting SOEs 
that would be a fortunate, uh, you know, um, a fortunate outcome. But we just wait and see. Yes. Okay. So it's going to be very interesting going forward. So now, when we look at the sort of growing tensions, there's been a lot of emphasis on decreased GDP and this recession that we're now in, and it's quite terrifying when people compare it to the Great Depression of you know many many years ago. And um, we talk about at the same time there is growing sort of there's growing frustrations regarding the rate at which trans deep transformation is happening in South Africa. You know, a lot of people are frustrated with the fact that inequality is still getting higher. And a lot of the way in which any growth that we've had hasn't sort of gone necessarily in the most fair distribution. Now, obviously, we've got a lot of policies that are working on addressing this, but there are still frustrations rising. When you spoke about the communication, that the importance of communication and being updated with these policies, I think it's really, really important that people hear this. But from a policy perspective, you know, GDP as a measure isn't necessarily the best measure to tell us where the growth is actually happening. It might be certain industries, it might be certain sectors of the population. So from a policy perspective, which indicators do you think our listeners could watch so that by this time next year, we can say, okay, at the moment, this indicator is here. A year from now, this indicator is here. Which indicators will show us that these policies are actually being implemented? effectively. <laughs> the, the, the truth of the matter is there is no one economic indicator that is perfect in mm. showing a particular you know, aspect of, of, of life. Uh, we always have to look at a number of indicators, each measuring in a very specific aspect. So what we can you know, look at, for instance, given that our biggest issues as a country it's income and wealth inequality, it's poverty, uh, you know, um, um, those, those and job growth, uh, you know, um, those are the biggest things that we need to, to actually get right, uh, crystallized in the, in the, in the constitution um, as, as the biggest things that we need to address, but also in terms of the national development plan, those are the issues that uh, really are the, the main ultimate first in, in terms of uh, improvement. So what can we look at? You know, if we look at income and wealth inequality, for instance, the, the best way to reduce those is through job growth, because mm -hmm. that's how you distribute the, the, the benefits of economic growth to, to a broader population. You increase the number of people that participate in the economy and you increase their, in, their income. So we should continue to track um, uh, how the economy is going to create jobs, but that happens because the private sector is investing uh, in creating these jobs. So one other indicator that we should look at is uh, private sector investment. Uh, that is going to give us a sense of where economic growth is going to, to, to go and how far it's likely to, um, how fast to grow. But again, before we can even think about private sector investment, we need to uh, we need uh, uh, you know business confidence to increase. You know that's another indicator that we can also look at uh, because it will give us a sense of where uh, uh, you know uh, private investment is likely to go. So if we see business confidence pick up, uh, it, it, it will give us a sense that you know private sector will soon follow in terms of 
of uh, its investment. But if we don't see any uh, you know, improvement in, in, in business confidence, it becomes quite difficult to see uh, the private sector investing. So it's, it's, it's really those, it's business confidence pick up because the reforms will be implemented. So you can take it a step back again to say, we need to see government implementing the, the economic reforms. We need to see energy stability. We need to see the auctioning of spectrum. Uh, we, we, we need to see, uh, you know, um, the private sector warming up to those reforms, which will be embodied in the improvement in business confidence. Once that happens, we can then look at private sector investment flows into the country. Um, that will give us a sense of economic growth and job creation, uh, ultimately yeah. uh, people's incomes are going to increase. So it's a number of, yes. um, of economic that we need to, to train. Yes, and I think when we spoke about it, you know, when in one of our, our first first questions today, um, you know, we mentioned the business-friendly approach that the you know the government is now taking. And I think this sort of leads to it leads to all of that. It all ties in. And I think ultimately, if we could see it come across, come into all sectors, you know, from the electricity to healthcare everywhere, encourage private sector investment and maybe see, see if we can get the, that job creation that we much, that we really need. So thank you, Zai. Is there anything else you would like to say to our listeners today? No, I think just to say this budget, um, you know, it, it comes within a very difficult economic environment. Uh, we will not always have everything that we want. Um, hard choices had to be taken uh, to make sure that the economy is on a sustainable level and inclusive for economic growth going forward. The one thing that we can take out of it is, uh, even given the difficulty in terms of the environment, consumers or households have been given income tax relief. Mm -hmm. um, you know, tax brackets have been adjusted by more than inflation, which is 5%, which means there's some 2.2 billion in tax relief directly to consumers. But also the planned 40 billion in new taxes that were announced last year, they were all withdrawn, which means government notices that it's a difficult environment. People have lost jobs. Company profitability has declined. So it does not make sense to overburden the economy with new taxes. So that is good from a government a planning point of view. Um, uh, and, and again, business friendly environment, a reduction in corporate income tax is important to, to incentivize private sector, but the private sector is not going to necessarily invest uh, uh, now because there is a reduction in corporate income tax. We still need the economic reforms. And it is the role of every citizen to, to hold policymakers and government leaders accountable in terms of implementing some of these reforms because if we don't see implementation it's going to be, uh, it's going to be difficult for us to expect um, you know investment to, to pick up so i think that's that's the, the overall message it's a good budget uh, business friendly income relief to consumers and corporates which should set up a, a, a conducive environment for further implementation of reforms that will benefit economic growth and jobs. But we also need to be realistic. Uh, it's going to take some time to get the economy going. Yes. And I think if we can 
give this year all the hard work it deserves. I, I'm sure it will all pay off given this environment and hopefully this time next year we'll be one step closer to um, reaching our goals. Thank you, Isai. As always, it's such a pleasure having you on our podcast. And thank you also to all of our listeners. And if oh, you haven't... <laughs> thank you, yeah. And also thank you to all of our listeners. If you haven't yet, please remember to subscribe to our social media channels by clicking on the subscribe links on the website. Thank you. Until next time, have a good day.